Midnight Breakfast Cafe, where three pals talk about food, pop culture, and other nonsense. I'm Tracy. I'm Natalie. And I'm Stacy. I have finally discovered Hamilton. Or, you know, another way of putting it is, I ha- like, my resolve has gradually eroded from, like, the constant haranguing of other people. <laughs> well, why were you so opposed to it before, Natalie? Because I don't like musicals. I find them fanciful and silly. I think if you look carefully, you'll find that we were all opposed to Hamilton initially. Yeah, I mean, I love musicals, but I do remember when you first told me about it, I was like, a musical about U.S. history and the American Revolution? I don't know, man. It sounds like it's going to be schoolhouse rock. Right, exactly. But then, like, I didn't realize it was going to be rap, or I didn't realize it was going to be good rap. Like, I, I feel like you guys and Pop Culture Happy Hour and just about everyone on the internet was like, you gotta listen to this Hamilton thing. And I remember visiting my one of my friends and then she told me with great pride and joy that she and her husband had scored Hamilton tickets six months from now. And I was like, why would why has the world gone mad for Alexander Hamilton? <laughs> no, you don't understand, Natalie. The world went upside down for Alexander Hamilton. It did that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still really puzzled by it because um, I listened to it and I was like, this is pretty good stuff. And then I w- watched like, you know, the Tony performance that they did. And I was like, yeah, I don't like musicals. <sighs> but no, because I just find them dancing around with muskets and like break dancing. It just is very ridiculous looking. I also think that watching it on video is not the same as like watching a live performance. Oh, because that's true. like when so I actually I saw a musical a few months ago and I really liked it. And it's because like you can look at whatever you want when you're there. Like you can look at the lights, like you can look at the stage and like you don't necessarily have to look at the people. And um, when you're watching, like, a YouTube video, you don't have a choice because the camera points to what the camera wants to point to. Yeah, that's true. Any video recording of a play or a Broadway musical is never as good as watching it live. Never. I mean, it's not just the whole perspective thing. It's also about, like, being there and feeling what everybody else is feeling and just being part of the story somehow just by busy being physically there. Although it's also true that with musicals uh, that especially are new on Broadway, sometimes that's all you can get. Like until it comes to your hometown 10 years after the fact, or it has become like a classic that your high school productions do, or you're a rich person, then maybe you never get to see that show. That's true. I, I have to admit, I'm incredibly privileged that I was even able to watch a lot of these musicals like on stage. I haven't been privileged enough to watch Hamilton, but for the other stuff, it's like you have to be able to travel somewhere where the show is even playing. But actually, that's something else that interests me about Hamilton is most of the fans have never seen it. It's only on the strength yeah. of the soundtrack, the internet presence of Lin-Manuel Miranda and Ham for Ham and the related YouTube videos that basically this has been allowed to be uh, for everyone instead of just being for an elite group that has the money or the location right well hasn't Lin-Manuel Miranda also worked really hard to make sure this is accessible for high school performances 
Yeah, and I'm super interested to see one of those. All those little junior Hamiltons. That's going to be adorable. <laughs> well, they have. What are they going to do about the f bombs in it? They have edited versions of basically every Broadway show that uh, okay. has bad language, so that high schools can still do it. And sometimes they do it anyway. I don't know. They might find that these kids listen to music with cursing anyway, so maybe that will sort of speak to yeah. them. I don't know what they will decide. I saw a Twitter thread a few months ago. Somebody was saying how they had a high school production of Rent, except they replaced every、um, reference to AIDS with diabetes. Oh no! It doesn't have quite the same ring. I mean, just imagine there's a, there's literally a line referencing somebody slitting their throats in the bathtub because they have AIDS, except <laughs> now they're slitting their wrists because they have diabetes. They should have just gone with tuberculosis at that point. Yeah, <laughs> or they could have made something up. It's future disease, so don't pay your rent. I wanted to talk about my favorite musical. Oh yeah, is it Aida? Yes, it is Aida. <laughs> and, I'm following Twitter, so I know this. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a complicated backstory, but basically, my sixth grade teacher—I think a fifth or sixth grade teacher—I think it was my sixth grade teacher had、um, the picture book that was written by like an opera star, and、um, she would read to us like after lunch. And Aida was one of those books, so. I had Aida in my brain, and then for some reason, on my first solo plane trip, one of the soundtracks was Aida. So as I was like falling asleep on this like six-hour flight, I just listened to Aida on repeat. I think it burned its way into my brain, and this probably coincided with Napster. So then I like listened to the CD nonstop. So what is it that really appealed to you about that、uh, soundtrack in particular? So I went back and I re-listened to it. There are like only like three or four good songs. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. There's like My Strongest Suit. Every story is a love story.、Um, written in the stars. I don't know. It was just like you know like. A failed room. It's a really stupid story, where you know, like, girl falls in love with boy, everybody dies, as they so often do. Especially if you consider that it was based on an opera. Yeah. So, long story short, like, I think I've always been. I find musicals most accessible, like, when I'm very distracted and just listening to the soundtrack. So I was just like listening to it while I was like doing something else, and finally, like. My defenses were down, and it sunk in. And I started with "Dear Theodosia," which is at the end of Act One. So, like, <laughs> I listened to "Dear Theodosia," and I just like let it go through Spotify, and I let it finish. And then, then I went back and I started at the beginning. And I think that if I had started properly, I wouldn't have gotten through because there's like too many like plot songs in Act One. There's like a bunch of good songs, but there's also like a few plot songs. I don't know if I feel the same way about them though, because I feel like each song is like a little condensed history lesson. Dear Theodosia is kind of the take a break song, like not a direct reference to the song Take a Break in Act Two, but it's a little breather in Act One. Like amidst all this chaos, we have this little moment where everything just stops because these two babies were born. Yes, but then like five songs later. Okay, it's not like five songs later, but a short time later, Philip dies. 
I don't know. I feel like for me, the first song definitely kind of hooked me in. I don't quite remember how I started listening to Hamilton, but I definitely kind of just because how I feel about musicals. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to start from the beginning. And oh my God, what is this? I mean, I've never really particularly been a fan of rap. So I think that was also for me when I first started listening to Hamilton. It's like, well, I don't know how you can have a musical like with rap. And I'm so glad that Lin-Manuel Miranda has proven me wrong. So my current my current Hamilton song of the moment is It's Quiet Uptown. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so sad. I definitely tear up with that one. I'm just wondering why, like, I haven't heard of any, like, or I don't hear of more actors having breakdowns. Because I was like, how do you do this every night and, like, not come out, like, emotionally scarred because you have to like fall in love and your children have to die every and then you you have to die like every <laughs> night well, every think, six days a week <laughs> i think maybe at least with this story it's kind of cathartic for the actors because they do go through all this hardship but within the story is over um they also include the characters um getting over their sorrow and moving on yeah. and letting go of their their sadness. Like the song, It's Quiet Uptown, it is about him processing that those feelings of guilt and sorrow over losing his son. But the end of the song, like he and Eliza kind of get over it together. Well, like in the next song, they're like trying to convince him to come back to Washington or whatever. And then he keeps on saying it's quiet uptown. Which, by the way, I love that so many of the songs echo each other in those tiny ways. So that yeah. after, like, upon your first listen, you're not really processing any of that. But, like, the more and more you listen, the more you're like, that line is in two songs. And it's sort of like yeah. a never-ending depth of riches the more you listen to it. Personally, like, I feel that Hamilton is not just a musical. It could actually be elevated to the status of a rap opera. Because if you look at the way that Miranda has constructed Hamilton it does very much echo the way that operas are constructed in which each character has their leitmotif and each situation also has its theme and they're brought together in really different and complex ways and also when we don't expect them to kind of tell you it's like mm -hmm. oh this situation right now is actually a progression or a reflection of another situation that you saw earlier on or this character's presence is still felt even if they're not in the scene. Yeah. Like Eliza, she has, like, Eliza. Like, those yeah. three notes. And then they, like, crop up all over the place. And you're like, yeah. oh, even when it's not the word Eliza, if you hear those three notes in that order, yeah. um, you know, it's about her. Right. Or even the way that Alexander's name is sung throughout the musical, there's the way that he sings it himself, where it's a declaration of who he thinks he is as a person. Uh -huh. But there's also the way that the Schuyler sisters, they themselves sing his name, where it's more of a plea, like, please do this for me. And then every time you hear the word, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that when you first hear sir, it's Alexander being deferential to the people around him. But towards the end he starts he stops saying sir because at that point he's like i'm over you alexander um i'm over you aaron burr i don't consider yeah. you a sir anymore yeah so there's this podcast that i listen called what trump can teach you about constitutional law 
Oh. <laughs> and, okay. And this is related, I promise you. <laughs> and um, they, the recent episode was like how to impeach a president. And then so they talked about Aaron Burr, sir. <laughs> and then it was just like that line. And then they just kept on going. So I was like, oh, it's an in-joke and I am on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like those little references. Um, and actually, that's one of the reasons that I really like in general and especially in relation to Hamilton, uh, the site Rap Genius, which has now expanded to other geniuses. But you can read like line by line annotations of the song, many of which were written by Lin-Manuel. And so, I spent weeks on that site when I first started listening to Hamilton. Yeah, like, it's so I read interesting. everything in a day, but I kept going back and rereading it. What are your guys' favorite songs? Ooh. I think it's like you say, it can shift from time to time. Um, I think one that I always come back to is Satisfied, just because I think that was a moment when I first listened to the show where, like, I mean, I was at varying levels of enjoying the show the soundtrack up until that point but that was one of the songs that really caught my attention and kind of I don't know like because I hadn't thought of uh Angelica as having a strong role in the plot up until that point and she kind of doesn't from that point on in the musical but I found that dynamic so interesting that she she is definitely into Hamilton but she loves her sister too much and she is too aware of her own role in the family to let it happen so she has this moment of intense conflict right when her sister and Hamilton are at their happiest. That is a really good song, too, especially where it comes right after um, Eliza's song, Helpless, where Eliza sings about this neat cute she has with Hamilton and the ensuing romance. But then immediately afterwards, Angelica kind of comes in and says, well, this is what actually happened that Eliza doesn't know about. Yeah, is, exactly. I've set the two of them up. And I love that duality of like, you know, everything has different versions to it. And we never actually hear Hamilton's version is another interesting thing. So, for instance, we never are sure the entire show whether he really had feelings for Angelica or could have. It's all just left to, well, it doesn't matter because it didn't happen. Because we only hear the two sisters' side of it. Actually, that's um, really interesting that you bring that up because it also ties in with the song um, um, Say No to This. Right, which yeah. Which is one of my favorite songs in the musical. It's because, for one thing, this song makes me deeply uncomfortable. But part of the reason I feel this way is that it's so sexual. Like, yeah. I listen to this song and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need an adult in the room to help me, <laughs> you know, process these feelings. Oh, but, is that when he does the sexy times with... Yes. So uh. basically, this song is about his entire affair with Mariah Reynolds. And interesting mm -hmm. enough, the song is basically... The lyrics are literally, she said, he said. Mm. So... Mm -hmm. It's a song where he's telling the story of how he became seduced by Mariah Reynolds, but he never really actually takes responsibility for anything he does. It's all about, like, she said this, and so what was I supposed to do? But, you know. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, lonely because his wife took the kids, like, upstate or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's all about how it's kind of like there's no real... Um, there's no objective truth in this matter, except for the facts that he did have an affair with Mariah Reynolds. But there's so much 
vagueness about how this affair even started in the first place. And was it that she seduced him in a moment of weakness and then he felt compelled to continue the affair because she had dirt on him or he was actually very interested and proactively pursued this affair? Yeah, All of that's this interesting. All of to speculation. That's not a song I had really analyzed in depth, but the more you talk about it, the more I feel like revisiting it. It's especially interesting, too, because I think in the biography by um, Ron Chernow that this musical is based on, really, um, it's kind of speculated that he was indeed very much drawn to Mariah Reynolds because she was a helpless creature. Like, Mm -hmm. Hamilton was basically very much... um, He had very much a soft spot for women that he perceived were helpless. Because of his mom? Yes, because of his mom. And we also see that echoed in the song Helpless, in which Eliza sings about how, like, she becomes helpless whenever she sees Alexander Hamilton. Like, she just can't help herself anymore. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So is it also where, like, maybe he was initially attracted to Angelica, but he felt more um, drawn to the younger sister over time because Angelica was much more independent than Eliza was? And also, I imagine she just cut her, cut off any flirtation that she had going on, at least in the musical. Yeah. Like, I know that in reality it was different, but uh, yeah, you can assume that as soon as he saw that moment pass between them, then she did as she said she would, and she just didn't go for it anymore, which is such a refreshing thing to have in a sort of love triangle. Like, normally it's either there's going to be a love triangle and everybody's going to kind of fight and squabble over it. Or it just mm-hmm. doesn't happen. It's not usually that there's a love triangle, but one person immediately is mature and backs down. Yeah, also this whole, like, well, have you met my sister? I think that's a pretty clear sign that you and I are not going to happen. Uh, so, Stacy, what is your favorite song? Oh, I don't know that I can pick one favorite song out of the whole musical. I will say that generally I find the first act of most musicals to be much more compelling than the second act. The second act is usually where all the sad stuff happens. Usually the first half is happy, fun times. The second half is, and then they die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like if I were to introduce somebody to the musical Hamilton, there's no better place to start than the very first song. And, but the thing is, I might not show them the actual performance from the musical. I would probably show them Lin-Manuel Miranda's performance of it back in 2007 at the White House. I love that video. That's probably my most watched YouTube video, if I could have all the stats. Because I love, first of all, I love that, you know, in hindsight, it's now hilarious. Like, he's getting laughs from the audience. <laughs> President Obama's laughing at him. It's like, I know that well, they're who's not... Who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> so, Natalie, what's your favorite song? Is it still Dear Theodosia? No, I think I really like Wait For It. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good song. Um, I know for a fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda has said that's one of his two favorites. Like, that's one of his favorite songs in the musical. Like, he kind of kicks himself a little bit where he feels that the songs he's written for Aaron Burr are the best songs in the musical. (laughs) Yeah, but Aaron Burr is in some ways, like, he's more interesting than Hamilton because Hamilton wants, Hamilton feels, Hamilton, like, Hamilton goes full throttle all the time. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Is that really so bad, though? Well, like, no, because Aaron Burr has, like, the anguish of hesitation. And that's, like, kind of, like, I feel like wait for it is, like, him seeing what Hamilton is getting with his, like, go-get attitude. But Aaron Burr is, like, more cautious by nature. And how it is who he is, but he also kind of yearns of, like, you know, just being a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. Like, that's part of his song. Like, Hamilton doesn't hesitate. He takes and takes and makes no mistakes. And then, but he also talks about life and how it takes and it takes. Yeah. Yeah. He basically, like, says Hamilton is a force of life. Well, he's also, like, like a life vampire. Yeah. But maybe part of it is that Hamilton, at least in the first act, he has nothing to lose. Yeah, like, true. Yeah. Like, Aaron Burr has so much to lose. He has his family name. He's never really felt that he was going to die. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. I just, I find Aaron Burr... Kind of, I found him to be like more compelling as a character. He's kind of more relatable in certain ways because I feel like Hamilton is somebody who, despite his faults, we kind of aspire to be like a little bit just because he's so effective in the world for the most part. But Burr is somebody like Burr has insecurities, Burr has like troubles that he can't overcome, not because they're impossible to overcome, but because he won't, which uh, is something that I maybe relate to a little bit. In a way, he's the audience stand-in. Right. Like, he tells mm-hmm. the story, but framed in a way that us mere mortals see the story. Like, who is this Hamilton? Like, how was he able to just be so forceful in life and just decide, like, this is what I want, and nothing is going to distract me from that? Because how do you know that what you want is what you do ultimately want as well? Yeah, true. You do if you're Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I think maybe it's also because Hamilton, he grew up in a situation where he was always expecting to die. Mm, Yeah. Like, I think that is something that definitely makes you know what you want out of life. Like, before I die, I need this. And then, like, Aaron Burr has just, like, this huge legacy that he has to somehow manage to shore up. Right. Mm -hmm. Or he just doesn't want to be the one to drop the baton. Mm Mm-hmm. Ironically, yeah, because his his grandfather was a brimstone preacher, his mother was a genius, <laughs> his father his commanded respect. Commanded, yeah, <laughs> which is funny. I'm now just thinking of a parallel between Hamilton and one of my favorite musicals, which is Jesus Christ Superstar. Because in Jesus oh, Christ Superstar, there's definitely a tone of like, I was fated to do this, Jesus. This wasn't my fault. <laughs> right like there's, there's almost... also like the mysterious figure of jesus like how has he no absolutely no hesitations about what he needs to do but jesus is also carrying the burden of being this like mythical person now he's no longer a real person and mary magdalene is totally in eliza parallel <laughs> <laughs> like jesus all i want to do is wash your hair and feet okay just, just relax just take a break jesus <laughs> So, remember we did, like, Jesus Christ, Cat Superstar or whatever? That's right. (laughs) 
Yeah, was that on the podcast or was that pre-podcast? That was on the podcast. I don't think that was very early podcast. Right, that was in like the the second episode. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we were saying Mary Magdalene would be like a person who just wants to pet all the cats. Yeah. (laughs) Is there like, I don't know, it seems kind of disrespectful to Hamilton to recast it animal style. What are you talking about? I think... You know, this is the natural progression of all musicals, to cast them with animals. And then the King George cat is totally like one of those big fluffy cats with the grumpy face. No, or we just keep King George as is. He's just a person. He's the Mary Magdalene <laughs> of this production. Yeah, he's a person who's trying to tell a bunch of cats what to do, and then naturally the cats are like, we're not going to listen to you, human. And then finally he's like, alright, have fun. I'm leaving you to your own devices in this house. Goodbye. <laughs> you know i i like this i like this this instead of america it's just like a house yeah and a bunch of cats decide they want to be outdoor cats screw all this business so who's lafayette though is he like just a neighbor's cat who's just like yeah i'm totally gonna join this party this sounds more and more like like nickel atsume then Neko Asume can do a spin-off called america yard where they enact small <laughs> bits of the american revolution and all the novelty celebrity cats are American revolutionaries. So what is the aim of the Hamill cat game? You're trying to win the Revolutionary War, but the Revolutionary War is just getting all the humans out of your yard. I guess. But, no, but that's like act one. And then so I guess like what is stage two of the game? Establishing your catocracy. Okay, so this is the plot of Animal Farm. It's just... <laughs> It's little cats playing Animal Farm. I don't want I don't want it to be Animal Farm. It's nice Animal Farm. It's Animal Farm Junior. There are no pigs in this farm. Right. If we had pigs, there would be trouble. But it's Cat Animal Farm, and the cats aren't even into all that. I have a new idea. The game is you are a stage director, and you must put on a Hamel Cat production. So you need to cast and design your sets. Natalie, that sounds so fun. Yeah, when can I download this game? And then, like, then you you create your Hamilton production, and it's, like, five minutes long. It's really short, and then you post it on YouTube, and you can compare it to all your friends' Hamil Hamil Cat productions. Natalie, when are you releasing this game? (laughs) And how much are you charging for it? (laughs) I would like to pre-order it. How do I make this, Tracy? You know computers. Well, first you go onto your computer, and you type, put the Hamilton game, and then there it is. (laughs) <laughs> well i'm like do i need to learn ruby on rails or like python or something <laughs> probably something like that but if it is your dream natalie we're gonna make it happen <laughs> <laughs> but i think that if you did that lin-manuel would be into it like other creators i think when you make things they're like get that out of here i'm not making any money off that but i think lin-manuel would find that very funny he would probably think... also like play it and post his cat Hamilton play on the internet for everyone to see. But at the same time, what if it goes the way of like the Game of Thrones musical? That's an amazing musical. <laughs> so what's your worry here? <laughs> no, remember um, Chris Martin goes to George R. R. Martin. He's like, "Yeah, we're totally gonna get this green lit," and then George R. R. Martin does like a cease and desist letter. <laughs> But we still have viral YouTube videos. 
But I think that you don't have to make it Hamilton. You could be like, uh, I don't know, talky revolutionary cat and his friends. <laughs> <laughs> you could be like a very Potter musical. That's true. If it's a parody, it's then a it works. It's a musical of love, yes. And J.K. Rowling is like, well, I don't know. Whatever, man. <laughs> oh, and then one of your cats will go famous and, you know, star on a hit show. Heat TV. A hit TV show about singing. <laughs> but then you would probably lose that cat. So this is like one of the random events that could happen that ruin your show. And certain things that you do make it more or less likely that that would happen. So it's basically, you know, this is an app about running like a cat talent agency, huh? No, it's just the one production, but the cats can like go off yeah. the rails. And you've got to like make each one of them happy. <laughs> You know, so one it'll be gets like, like a catnip addiction, and then has to go to rehab. <laughs> but like all browser games, like... you're gonna be able to give them little gifts that keep them happy, and then <laughs> hopefully the production goes nice if you are on there twelve hours a day. Yeah. Or what if your cat gets like too fat and heavy and can't do those cat like cat acrobatics anymore? And the understudy comes in. And the understudy's got their oh. own drama to worry about. Or, like, the the lead cat is, like, very jealous of the understudy cat. <laughs> I think there should be a part where you're a Starbucks barista and you have to make money to put on your show. Tony Barista! <laughs> yeah, it can be a little callback to Tony. But uh, that'll be the <laughs> minigame, is, you know, when you run out of money for your production, you've got to play a little Starbucks minigame real quick. But it's not called yeah. Starbucks. It's called Catbox or something because can't do that. <laughs> Have you heard of yeah. like dog bugs? It's like Starbucks parodies, but with dogs as the mascot. <laughs> I think it should totally be dog bucks because it's more soul sucking that way. <laughs> like you're shilling for the other side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have this dream of putting on like a, a musical you know, but during the day, like, you have to, like, make drinks for slobbery dumb dogs. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not called dog bucks. It's called Shiba bucks. Because <laughs> That's even worse. specifically for Shibas. I feel like Shibas dogs. are, like, the mockingest, mockingest of dogs. They're the cats of dogs. Yeah. And then they'll, like, just laugh laugh at you when you tell like when you when they hear about your like musical dreams but then once the musical <laughs> comes out all the dogs are like it's so great you all have to see it <laughs> so like you're only truly successful in your musical when your audience is just full of shebas that's a cynical way to do it but it sounds about right so my life has recently been taken over by this universal paperclip game oh right what is this Where universal paperclip game you should only look at it if you have like two days to spare because it took me like over 14 hours to beat that stupid game and i cheated <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you i have not i have not dared to open it but it is a clicker game am i right like an iterative game yeah so you make you know t right now you make paperclips but in 14 hours, you take over the universe. <laughs> universe domination. Yeah. And the then so goal. 
I feel like, you know, when you start your musical game, you have like maybe $5,000 in the pot or Sheba bucks or whatever. Don't coin. <laughs> Don't um, coin, of course. And then like... Oh my God, that's great. <laughs> and then like as... And then you run out and then you have to work at like dog bucks or whatever to like generate more money. <laughs> and then work like... at Sheba bucks who earned that sweet dog coin. Yeah, and then like your aunt dies and you get an inheritance and you can keep on going. <laughs> oh, yeah, there should also have? be there should be like a function that you work at Starbucks and you visit your elderly relatives in nursing homes. <laughs> <laughs> to secure funding for your show? Yeah, I totally worked in Sing. That's right. Also, I forgot about maybe- that. Not just your own elderly relatives, just like visit all the little old ladies on the Upper East Side. I see where you're going with this, Stacey. (laughs) (laughs) We're not good people. We're not good people (laughs) for suggesting this. (laughs) Um, And then so like... That'll be a fun element of the game is shout outs to a bunch of other musicals. It'll be, like, mostly Hamilton theme, but, like, on the side, there's going to be little references to a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Especially and if those other bunch of stuff are also about putting on musicals. And then, like, you gotta audition your cats. And then, like, every once in a while, like, there'll be, there'll be some algorithm. This is sounding very complicated, but there's, like, an algorithm, and it's, like, one of your cats ran off with another cat, and they're having an affair. <laughs> But it'd be like, maybe that's okay. It just creates more drama on the set. Like when you try to date two ladies in Mass Effect, they're just catty with each other now. <laughs> maybe it also generates publicity for your cat play. <laughs> that's yeah. true. And then like you have like more ticket sales and then you start panicking. It's like, oh my God, like so many people are coming to my play, but I don't have a leading cat. What do I do? <laughs> so I think like... They don't have to write the play because that just seems too difficult. All they have to do is cast the play and make the sets. And maybe there's a part where you have to make a choice. Uh huh. Like uh, one of the aspects will be like you've got a set designer, and the set designer is like, "I think that everything on this set should be made of apples." And the other set designer is like, "I think everything on this set should be like a gothic castle." And you're like, "Those are both terrible ideas, but which one do I choose?" <laughs> I feel like, why not both? But yeah, then the choices you make will be reflected in the final show. (laughs) And then, like, but what if it's like, your main actress got cast in a sitcom. She wants to leave the production. So you'd have a choice. You could either offer her something to stay, like more money or a bigger role, or she's gone Uh and you have to recast her and you get scandal. So for the paperclip game, like, you, you earn money, but you also, like, earn, like, trust and honor. And this thing called Yomi. So, like, is there, like, money in him, but there's also, like, credibility or something? Yeah, and if your credibility gets too low, some of the cats don't want to be on your production anymore because they're respectable cats. But then you'll attract, uh-huh. like, some lowbrow cats who maybe have their own fan base. We're still talking about cats, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing very... all of this with the Neko Atsume graphics. Like, I know that that could not be the case. But... Oh, we would get our pants suit off. Were we going to talk about best of the year, or like New Year's resolutions or breakfast? I'll do a quick up- breakfast update because I was eating breakfast when we started f- um, recording today. 
I'm eating a lox and focaccia sandwich from the local German bakery, Oma's Bakery. Ah,、oh. uh, yeah, right. Yes, and it's very good. Lox is good. I like lox. Yeah, I really miss that place. Of all the places in Taipei, that was one of the ones I went to the most frequently.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got good stuff there. The pumpkin cake. Oh, now I want a pumpkin cake. Oh, it's oh, it's only half past twelve. Otherwise, I would go and check out Flugo to see what today's desserts are. Oh yeah, Flugo. So Flugo is a little tiny hole in the wall coffee dessert shop that. You don't. You wouldn't even know it's there unless you actually already knew that it's there, and they do some really good cakes and pies. It's pie weather. Yeah, it is. Finally, I made a pecan tart the other day. It came out pretty nice. I was very set、oh, against、man. using、uh, corn syrup, so instead I used sorghum, which I had never tried before, and it it's it came out really well. I liked it a lot. Wait, sorghum like sorghum syrup, like syrup made from sorghum, the 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 grain. Yeah, it's like a molasses.、Huh. That's so interesting because in Taiwan, sorghum alcohol is a big thing. There's a movie. Is it? Yeah, there. I think it's called Red Sorghum. Sorghum and Gong Li is in it. Huh. I've never seen it, but I was a fan of Gong Li for a while, so I like Red. Do her boobs suffer、alcohol. in this movie? Um, it is one of her earlier films. I think I don't know. I've never seen it, but. There was a pi-、oh. time in my life where I read Wikipedia articles and watched TV trailers, or trailer movie trailers. <laughs> Apparently, there's a subgenre of movies called Gongli's boobs suffer. Is that true? Wait, because <laughs> they are trapped, or it's just basically like Gongli and some sort of period movie usually, and her boobs are like just bound really tight and up there. I think Memoirs of a Geisha also counts as the Gongli's boobs suffers movies. Oh man! No, I think I she no plays、idea. a peasant in Red Sorghum. <laughs>、oh. So, oh, Actually, her boobs are probably、this. relatively liberated then. <laughs> yes. Apparently, there's a lot of like subgenres for Asian movies. Like,、um, in the mood for love is called a sad, sad noodles movie. I mean, we invented、yeah. these genres. These are not like things that exist online.、Oh, no, I'm sorry, you're right, Tracy. You invented sad, sad noodles. That's right. I invent a lot of movie genres, but I did not invent <laughs> suffering boobs. No, somebody did that. We need to make a list. So, what is what is in the sad, sad noodles? So, there's like Ramen Girl is a sad, sad noodles movie. I don't know that I actually came up with other movies to be put into this genre, but that was just my classification of that one movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I know there's a sequel. I do not know if anyone eats noodles in the sequel. We'll have to find out. No, I don't think anybody eats noodles in the sequel. Unfortunately, I need to rewatch that movie. Oh my god! I just realized what there is another. Okay, if you interpret sad, sad noodles as being merely a movie in which someone is sad and eats food extensively, there's a movie called A Ghost Story where、uh, Rooney Mara sits on the floor and eats an entire pie in real time. And that is the essence of sad, sad noodles. So I will give the honorary sad, sad noodle award to a ghost story. Really? Even though no noodles were consumed. Right. So literally, before I came here to record, I listened to Pop Culture Happy Hour, where they talked about Rooney Mara eating a pie for five minutes. <laughs> It's by far the most、story. memorable scene of the movie. I mean, it does have a ghost man in it, but aside from just being like, "Oh, cool, a ghost man." 
the only thing in that movie that was like, wow, is Rooney Mara sitting and eating a pie. Is this movie, like, overall, like, a sad... It is, but it's also super boring, yeah. so there's not really much going on to remember. But um, <laughs> I do remember reading that, you know, if you're going to eat a whole pie for a movie, you better get to pick what kind of pie it is. And the kind of pie <laughs> that it was was some kind of vegan pie. And what? I remember being very dubious that that is the pie that I would sit and eat in its entirety for a movie. I would definitely pick a pecan pie. I don't know. Is Rooney, is Rooney Mara a vegan? I guess she must be if she chose a thing like that. Uh, what we're assuming that she was given the choice. <laughs> like maybe it was like I am grieving, so I should eat a sad pie. That is what was happening. Hmm. She had gotten a pie you know, as this a isn't, gift. This isn't a comedy because it's so it's not a banana cream pie. You got to be respectful. <laughs> And it's not a sex comedy, so it's not an apple pie. Yeah. I thought of another honorary Sad Sad Noodles film. What's that? But I don't remember what it what the title is. It's like Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. And Russell Crowe plays like a cop and Denzel Washington is like a crook. I think he sells some sort of drug. So there's like a Thanksgiving scene where Denzel Washington is carving a big turkey with his family. And it's all like, it's like that painting. And then poor Russell Crowe is making um, a white bread chip sandwich with a bag of Aww. chips, and it is sad. Is this called American Gangster? Yes. Yeah, I guess that sounds kind of sad, sad chip sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, a chip sandwich is a wonderful thing, unless it is Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, Natalie, what do you recommend this week? Um, I recommend the Book of Joy, which is a book of conversations between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I don't know if it's actually pronounced Tutu, but it's spelled like that. I'm very sorry if I just insulted the Archbishop. <laughs> um, I think, so my physical therapist actually recommended this book to me. It's called the Book of Joy, so I assume it is it is about, like, finding joy in your life i'm only a few chapters in but there's this like question that i think the archbishop asks the dalai lama about um you know how can he be so happy when he's spent like 50 years in exile and then he says wherever you have friends that's your country and whoever you receive love that's your home ah mm, that's a good message Yes. So you guys are my country. Oh, we we nice. gotta come up with a name for our country. It's Catlandia. <laughs> Catlandia, okay. Uh, so Stacy, you got a recommendation this week? For this week? Yes, I guess I have a very silly recommendation. So I was just chatting with my friend Bernice the other day and she showed me the selfies that she and her other friend had taken and they were very silly so I decided to see if I could one-up them in terms of how ugly or silly I could take a selfie. Mm. And so I've kind of gone down a rabbit hole of stupid selfies. So I really recommend this app. It's called Snow. Or in some on some stores, it's probably known as Beast. Sorry, there was crinkling in the background. <laughs> it was known as B612. So it's a selfie app that's developed by the company Line. 
So it's an affiliate app, and it has some of the most stupid filters I've ever seen. But they're really funny. Like they'll turn you into like a ugly caricature of yourself, and then make you into a anime caricature of yourself. Like there is literally a function that will minimize your chin and enlarge your eyes, and it is uncanny valley. Oh, it's like that new <laughs> movie with Alita, the Battle <laughs> Angel. <laughs> well, yes. If you want to see what you would look like as Alita, try this app. There's even one filter that turned me into a skillet and then cracked eggs over my eyes. That sounds terrifying. This sounds like <laughs> Bloody Mary territory. <laughs> I mean, if you want to see what I look like as a skillet with two sunny side up eggs for eyes, you can feel free to check out my Instagram. <laughs> uh, well, this week I started watching the show that I missed last year, but that everybody was into called Big Little Lies. Yeah, this is a show that sort of deals with a lot of tough subjects, and uh, I don't know. I think a genre that I like is a bunch of people who are rich and beautiful actually have super messed up lives. So for me, this is something that I kind of get a weird thrill out of, I guess. But I love Laura Dern. That's right, Laura Dern, the eternal woman. I will say everybody on this show is very beautiful. Right. But it's actually funny because there is a plot point where they're trying to put on a community theater production of Avenue Q and like the one (laughs) (laughs) and like the woman's like, it's a beautiful show. You don't understand. It has a deep message. And everyone else is like, this is inappropriate for our children. (laughs) It is kind of inappropriate for children. They have puppets having sex and sticking fingers into each other's buttholes. Yeah. So this is um, I'm only a couple episodes <laughs> in, but I do not imagine that the Avenue Q plotline will end well for anyone. <laughs> so, are you? Have you gone past the second episode? Yeah. Wait, I've seen the second episode, but I don't think I've gotten past the second episode. Okay. So, have you seen like Laura Dern be angry yet? Because it's marvelous. She, I've seen Laura Dern be angry in a variety of different scenarios, and I've just. Like, I've had nightmares about Laura Dern before. Wait, are you talking about Laura Dern specifically in Big Little Lies or just in, yeah, in like, yeah. all her other and, movies and stuff? So there's, like, this one scene, like, pretty early in Big Little Lies where she is angry and it is marvelous. And, like, if I could have it to be, like, my ringtone in a world <laughs> that it would be my ringtone. Oh, you mean where she snaps out at that guy or at that woman? I forget what she says. That woman, she... and she's like, thank you or, like... She says something that, like, is polite, but she says it in a way that she just, like, kind of barks it. Yeah, it's very scary. Oh, I think it's marvelous. (laughs) (laughs) This is just, like, weirdly apropos because Laura Dern also has a part in the new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. Right, which I have a lot of words about, but we gotta save them. (laughs) Well, I'm saving them. I'm just saying, like, maybe this is something for Natalie to look forward to. Laura Dern in The Last Jedi. That's right. She's going to be in every movie before long. <laughs> yes. But yes. why not Jurassic Park? They've got jo- they've got Jeff Goldblum. But they don't have Sam Neill. They got to put Laura Dern. She's gold, man. Yeah, why not Laura Dern? I think they're saving it. Our, our new Kickstarter. Why not <laughs> Laura Dern? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, friends, for joining us for this episode of Midnight Breakfast Cafe. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more podcasts on iTunes. And please be sure to talk about us on Twitter to help other friends. And oh, and leave reviews for other friends to find us. So 
something like that, right? <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Yeah, don't use that. <laughs> I might anyway. 